Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs that shape our world. On May 19th, Reverend Timothy J. Keller passed away at the age of 72 following a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer. The New York Times bestselling author was the founding pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. In the 1990s, Timothy Keller and his wife Kathy defied the critics and built a megachurch in the heart of Manhattan. By 2008, Redeemer had 5,000 members and nearly a dozen satellite ministries. During his tenure as founding pastor, Keller often delivered up to four sermons on Sundays. In The New Yorker, journalist Michael Lau described Keller as, quote, the most gifted communicator of historically orthodox Christian teachings in the United States. After 9-11, Keller and the Redeemer Church rose to greater prominence as he sought to offer relief to a suffering and traumatized city. Millions of dollars began to pour in in unsolicited donations to the congregation. Keller was at times challenged, struggling with the pressure of serving while dealing with health crises. He got cancer for the first time. His wife, Kathy, was going through significant health troubles. It was a very difficult time for them. That's Colin Hansen, the author of Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation, that was released in February 2023. In the opening chapters of the biography, Hansen describes Keller wrestling with big questions of faith and doubt. But that all changed after he joined the InterVarsity campus ministry as an undergraduate at Bucknell University. After graduating with a major in religion, Keller left Pennsylvania for Massachusetts, to attend Gordon-Cornwell, a Baptist-affiliated seminary supported by evangelists like Billy Graham. It was there that Keller embraced a worldview on the relationship between faith and politics. When he came to faith in 1970, a lot of his mentors had been from the British evangelical movement, people like J.I. Packer, people like John Stott, people like Martin Lloyd-Jones. These are people who would have said, Christianity has significant public implications, but it could never be consolidated under one political party today or into one political agenda. At the time, the cultural revolutions of the 1960s and 70s were erupting inside Protestant denominations. New theological doctrines and liberation theology began fueling calls for social change, Protestants began pushing within their institutions to engage in the changing systems of culture and society to advance gender equality, question militarism, and confront the legacy of racism. Schisms began to erupt. Keller was a Calvinist drawn to traditional Presbyterian theology. In 1973, led by the Southern Presbytery, A handful of leaders and congregations left the Presbyterian Church USA to form the Presbyterian Church of America, and that included Timothy and Kathy Keller. He was a Yankee. He moved south to Hopewell, Virginia, south of Richmond, that Petersburg area. That was a culture shock 
for him. That was quite an adjustment. The Kellers stayed for nearly 20 years in Virginia. They were also active in building and shaping the Presbyterian Church in America, the new denomination of conservatives in the Calvinist tradition. In the late 1980s, the Kellers set off for New York to plan a new church, and the success of Redeemer sparked a new mission. In 2009, Keller founded City to City, a global organization to plant churches and train pastors in the ministry. Through Redeemer City to City, Keller helped start more than a thousand churches and train close to 80,000 ministers. Tim Keller has been an absolutely key figure. He's helped that denomination to branch out, not only to New York City, but really to college campuses around the country and uh, throughout other cities in North America. Today, the Presbyterian Church in America is the largest Calvinist denomination in the U.S. and has 1,900 congregations and more than 5,000 ministers. While Keller is arguably the best known and credited with building the PCA into the second largest denomination in the Presbyterian tradition, he was a frequent target of criticism. His ideas and beliefs did not sit well with everyone, often criticized by those on the left and the right. In many ways, you could look at Tim Keller's beliefs and and they would be very conservative in all kinds of different ways when it came to social issues such as abortion or or same-sex marriage, but he refused to become a pawn of either political program. And he actually maintained relationships with presidents um, on different sides of the aisle during his career. After he retired in 2017, Keller began speaking more to these issues at public forums that were more likely to draw those outside the faith as well as his critics, like at this public event at New York University, where he's in conversation with psychologist Jonathan Haidt. The fact of the matter is the Bible is much harder on greed materialism, and it's a horrible sin, terrible sin. Well, will greed send you to hell? No. What sends you to hell is self-righteousness, thinking that you can be your own Savior and Lord. What sends you to heaven is getting a connection with Christ because you realize you're a sinner and you, and you, and you need intervention from outside. That's why it's, a, it's very misleading, actually, to say, even to say homosexuality is a sin because most people, yes, of course homosexuality is a sin because greed is a sin, because all kinds of things are sins, but what most Christians mean when they say that, and certainly what non-Christians think they hear when they hear that, is if you're gay, you're going to hell for being gay. It's just not true. Absolutely not true. It's funny how when you're that kind of figure, to some Christians, you're going to look extremely you know, liberal, but to many non-Christians, you're going to look extremely conservative. Tim would have thought that that was just part of the challenge, that there was not too much that you could do to entirely avoid that today. The real question is, how self-righteous are you? How, uh, how condescending are you? How disdainful are you? That's the question. All I can tell you, those who are here who are Christians, you've got something in the very middle of your Christian faith which ought to destroy self-righteousness and make you, at the very least, agents of pluralism and civility. It's the idea that you are saved by grace alone, not by your good works. One of the things that he and I talked about uh, several times before he died was just a lot of the opposition that he faced on social media. It was a challenge for him to be able to keep his head and say, 
okay, well, maybe I shouldn't overreact to what I'm seeing on Twitter and others shouldn't overreact to that as well. Sometimes I think that was not his strong suit. <laughs> it's not a medium that allows for a lot of direct um, dialogue. But engaging and debating is something Keller was drawn to as an evangelist from his early days at InterVarsity Ministry. But his way of entering into the conversation was shaped by his embrace of the discipline known as the apologetics. That's an approach that takes its name from the early definitions in Greek and Latin of apologia, which means in defense of faith. And the basic argument in the late Roman Empire was that Christians were causing this downfall. If the Roman Empire had stayed pagan, it would have stayed strong, but Christians were the ones who took it down. So Augustine gave this defense of Christianity. It became this foundational piece for what we know as Western civilization today. Tim's view, um, especially in the last decade of his life and especially in the last three years, was that we as Christians need to give that kind of defense of our faith in light of the broader dynamics of civilization. Here's Keller in conversation with Martin Bashir, speaking at the Veritas Forum at Columbia University in 2011. It seems like three things have to come together for you to be convinced that Christianity is true. There's an intellectual, a personal, and a social. Uh, when I was a college student and I wasn't sure whether Christianity was true, I had intellectual wrestling to do with all these rather... Every culture has a different set of objections to Christianity, utterly different than some other cultures. That's the reason why I was trying to say people getting all upset about um, how can there just be one way to God, that is not a problem for most cultures, most places, and you really have to realize how ethnocentric you are to make that such a big deal. I mean, just keep that in mind. That was, that was, that was a liberating thing for me to realize. That was an intellectual. Then the personal, you have to see that you need something besides your own power to get through life. You have to start to see your own weakness and your own feet of clay. And then socially, you have to see a group of people who are Christians that you have respect for. And until the intellectual work comes together, the personal need comes together with a, a community of people that you could imagine yourself being part of who are Christian, Christianity isn't plausible. There's a social aspect to the plausibility of anything, but there has to be a reasonable intellectual aspect, and there has to be a personal resonance. In many public lectures and sermons, it was rare to not hear him talk about his wife, Kathy. Although the Kellers remained opposed to women being ordained in the church, it was clear that her power and influence was significant. I asked Hansen to explain how he reconciled Kathy's leadership with their theological views on ordination. One of Kathy and Tim's most significant professors in seminary was Elizabeth Elliot very significant and strong figure in evangelicalism of the 20th century. All those experiences certainly did affect his views on women in ministry. But of course, Tim's view was shared by Kathy and by Elizabeth and by the mainstream traditions of all the Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox communities, which restrict uh, ordination to men. Kathy actually in seminary had withdrawn from an ordination track at the same time, they never conformed to your typical kind of gender stereotypes when it came to those roles. She is a significant figure and a partner in ministry, and I think she's rightly described as a co-founder of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. 
My wife and I, we went to Gordon-Conwell together. We both had the theological training, very important. It's actually, it really helps a great deal to our theological fellowship over the years. And it is true that Kathy and Tim have written all the books that only Tim's name is on. When you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, the kind of people who were attracted to Jesus, the kind of people who were drawn to him, who flocked to his ministry, the people who were on the on the outs, the people who were on the margins, the people who had been hated um, by some of the religious figures. And one of Tim's most important points is that if our churches don't appeal today to the same kinds of people, maybe we're not preaching the same gospel of grace. Coming up, my conversation with journalist Jonathan Roche, an advocate for gay marriage who remembers Tim Keller and their friendship. I will say that every atheist should have a pastor, and Tim Keller was mine. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan, and we'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 